Good morning, Missio Church. It's great to see all of you. This is, uh, what a delight. It's good to be together as the people of God and be able to worship our risen, victorious, exalted King together. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're continuing through our series in the book of Colossians. And this morning we find ourselves in verses 21 through 23, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. This is God's word. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Would you again uh, just bow your head and let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, we do come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and we ask that now in these next few moments, by your spirit, you um, you would magnify Jesus, that we might see him and his work more clearly. And that uh, upon seeing him more clearly, we might love him and cling to him more dearly. Father, glorify yourself, not to us, but to you and your son. Be the glory. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I I think most of us are guilty. We We start something new with great gusto, great excitement, but then... We never quite finish, right? Think about that app you downloaded on your smartphone and you were going to learn a new foreign language, and you didn't. Or the instrument that you picked up and started to play, but never quite learned that either. Or the, the eating and the exercise plan that lasted until you passed by Gannon's ice cream and then that was gone, right? Don't worry you're not alone, right? Almost 50% of people who start college don't end up with a degree after six years. And uh, one ebook company said that only 28% of people who downloaded the book 12 Years a Slave, the the now popular movie, only 28% of the people that started that book actually finished it. Like, don't you want to know how the story ends? But that's what we do. We give up. Perseverance, it's so, so difficult, but it's so, so crucial and important. And Paul calls us, and he's calling the Colossians church, but the Holy Spirit through Paul is calling the Colossians and us to perseverance in this passage. We must, according to verse 23, look at it with me, continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. 
Here's what we need to understand. God does indeed, by his grace, through his spirit, work to preserve us, to cause us to persevere. But at the same time, we are responsible to continue to cling to Christ, to continue to look to him in faith. And the temptation is so strong for us to move on from the incredible grace of Christ that at first we we were overwhelmed by, that we received, that we trusted in, to move on from the grace in Christ to something like legalism. Legalism, the idea or, or, or the inclination that we are accepted by God on the basis of our efforts, our work, our morality. And there is for some people a strong pull, a pull to, to abandon the grace of Christ, uh, the grace of Christ for mysticism. Mysticism, the, the idea that we can have a true knowledge of God or saving knowledge of God through the things that we experience, through the spiritual practices by which our lives are disciplined. We're we're tempted to pursue these things, to give up on what God started in us by grace. But Paul urges us this morning in this passage to remain unmoved from Christ by faith alone, from from the true gospel hope. And he does so by reminding of us of at least three things. First, he clarifies our need for reconciliation. Second, he highlights the cost of that reconciliation. And third, he explains the unbelievable results of that reconciliation. So let's look at it. First, Paul compels us, he urges us to continue to persevere, unmoved from the faith, by reminding us of our immense need for reconciliation. Paul describes the extent of our estrangement from God, from Christ, in terms of alienation. Look at verse 21. And you, who once were alienated, that is, we are those who should have absolutely, exactly zero expectation that we have any right any claim to God's blessings, to God's salvation, to God's friendship. We were alienated. Last uh, last year, I flew to Scotland, flew into Inverness. It's a tiny little airport, but I went up uh, to passport control, and there was uh, one of the nation's officers, and um, she grilled me about my visit. And after being thoroughly, feeling thoroughly intimidated, Uh, She was just about to let me through, and then she informed me this last sentence. She said, welcome to Scotland. I want you to know you have no right to any health care during your stay here, nor do you have any right to education during your visit. Okay, thank you. I'm glad to be here too. Thank you. Right? I had no right to those things, why? Because I was a foreigner, right? And that's what Paul is saying to us. We were alienated, we're foreigners to God. We're foreigners to him and his promises and his blessings, you don't have a right to them. You're alienated, you're foreigners, and so you are without hope. 
Paul next describes the, the extent of our estrangement from, from God and Christ by our, our complete disposition to despise the Lord. Verse 21, look at it. He says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. We, we aren't merely apathetic towards our creator. Meh, God. No. Hostile in mind. We were antagonistic. We deceive ourselves if we think indifference and not an animosity that, that seeks to defy God is the problem in our lives or in the world. There is no such thing as a person indifferent to God. Eh, God. No. You, don't kid yourself. You either embrace him You're either embraced by him or you are hostile in mind. Hear the scriptures. Finally, Paul describes the extent of our estrangement in terms of the rebellious acts that flow out of that disposition. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, doing evil deeds, Now, we've seen all sorts of these on display in our nation in the last few weeks, even in our city last night. And and it's easy to look out there and see evil deeds, right? But we must recognize that it is, or at least was, true of us. We must recognize the, the grave state of our hearts and our lives and our minds. We were those who betrayed a spouse. We were those who badmouthed our our coworkers or our neighbors. We were those who were driven by greed. We were those who were consumed by self-serving pride. We were those who feared and loved everything and anything but the Creator. Some of you might not be a part of of this church. You might not have professed faith in Christ, but you say, I'm not as bad as all that. Surely it wouldn't be so much for God to accept me. He could accept me quite easily. But one writer notes that gut reaction that says, "Eh, I'm not so bad. God could surely accept me pretty easily reveals our blindness to the pervasiveness, the hideousness and the offensiveness of our sin. Our immense need for reconciliation should compel us to continue to cling to Christ who is our hope. We were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Why would you move on from the Christ who saved us from those things? So having reminded the Colossian church of their former desperate state, Paul now highlights an aspect of salvation in order to urge them to continue to to stand unmoved, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And here next, Paul reminds us of the immeasurable cost of reconciliation to urge us to continue steadfast in the faith. Look at verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. The cost paid to reconcile sinners, God's enemies, 
objects of God's wrath to himself was not insignificant. It was not cheap. It was not small. The cost was immeasurable, uncountable. Paul talks about the reconciliation that came by way of Christ's incarnation. What he's saying is that the eternal son, the one who had no beginning, Jesus, who had no beginning and has no end, he became the enfleshed one. He was born of the Virgin Mary. The Son descended an infinite distance to secure our salvation and to secure God's exaltation. He left the throne room of heaven to live, to be tempted, to grow tired, to experience grief. But notice Paul also notes that reconciliation came by way of his death. More than just stooping to become like us, Jesus submitted himself to suffering for us. Right? What we need to realize is that Jesus, in his death, willingly submitted himself to the wrath of God that sin deserved. He bore the wrath of God as a substitute for those who would trust in him. And thus, he removed the the ground, sin, the ground of God's alienation from us. So the offended party, God, the offended party has righted the relationship for the offending party. You and I didn't do anything to make it right with God. The offended made the relationship right for the offender. If anything should prevent us from moving on, from not clinging to Christ, it's this sort of amazing love that the offended would write the relationship for the offender. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. So understanding and reflecting on our immense need for reconciliation and the immeasurable cost of reconciliation, it encourages us to continue to persevere, to stand firm, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. But Paul goes further to encourage us to continue in the faith. Paul reminds us of the inconceivable result of reconciliation in order that we might continue Look at verse 22 again. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Here, listen to those words of absolute perfection granted to you who trust in Christ Listen to those words. We, we were, remember, we were alienated, hostile in mind, evil. But if we trust in Christ, we are holy, blameless, above reproach. We are alienated, evil, hostile in mind, no longer. We are presented holy in Christ, not made holy by our efforts, Holiness, describing a complete dedication to the Lord, purity before the Lord, blameless, above reproach. 
The idea that not only are we not guilty, no one can convene a grand jury against us because there's not even a charge. You're blameless. You're above accusation. I don't know if your thoughts, your words, your actions, your attitudes were anything like mine this week, but if so, there is plenty of room for charge and accusation and blame. But because of Christ's work, we are in fact spotless, blameless, above accusation, above charges. It's It really is almost inconceivable. Perfection, friend, isn't based on your striving. It's rooted in our Savior. Perfection isn't gotten by our labors. It's granted by our Lord. It's received by grace alone, through faith alone, in the reconciliation affected by Christ Jesus. Why would you shift from that stable ground, where, from where you are presented as holy and blameless and above reproach, to the uncertainty of, maybe more, more accurately, the, sh- the surety of your own failure, your own efforts, your own morality, or lack thereof? Don't shift from the hope of the gospel, which is that Christ has reconciled you and made you holy, blameless, above reproach. Don't don't go to your own efforts. Look to Christ. Finally, Paul reminds the Colossians of the inescapable message of reconciliation. Look at how Paul describes the message which the Colossians have trusted in and which we should receive. Verse 23, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The message that the Colossians believed was the message which Paul was confronted when he was stopped on the road to Damascus. And the message that that Paul was entrusted was also the message that was proclaimed throughout all the world. It's one message. It's everywhere. It's inescapable. What Paul is telling the Colossians and what he's telling us is that while lots of other things are presenting themselves to you as plausible, as reasonable, as wise, as spiritual, there's only one gospel message, and it's the one I'm preaching to you, that you are holy and blameless and above reproach in the work of Christ Jesus. It's universal. It's inescapable. Don't abandon the gospel for something that devalues Christ. Don't abandon the gospel for something that diminishes your sin, your depravity. Don't be lured in. Don't divert your eyes from the incomparable Christ and his work that we've looked at this morning to pursue self-righteousness. Let's avoid the trap of adding to what Jesus has done to ensure a future with God. Don't be sucked into that. Don't add your legacy, your life's work, your goodness to what Christ has accomplished in his body by his death. Because that's like saying, Jesus, what you did, yeah, that was pretty good. Good job, Jesus. But, you know, I... It wasn't quite good enough. I need to do a little bit more. Jesus, what you did, it it just wasn't quite sufficient. I'm going to add my efforts, 
my charity, my love, my serving others to what you've done, because that's what needs to happen in order for me to be saved. Don't abandon the gospel to, to, to pursue a salvation by tough self-discipline through spiritual experiences, even by much Bible reading and constant prayer. This has such a strong appeal because it has the appearance of wisdom. It has the appearance of godliness. Don't misunderstand me. These things, Bible reading and prayer, they aid us in looking to Christ, to beholding him, to seeing him as he is, and we should avail ourselves of them constantly, but they are not Christ, and they do not save us. We need to stand unmoved from trusting in Christ. Stand firm in the reconciliation you have in Christ. Don't downplay your depravity. Don't diminish the worth of Christ and his work by ditching the gospel hope for anything else. You see, reflecting on on where we were, our past predicament, and our our present um, perfection before the Lord, it prompts us to stand unmoved, clinging to Christ, looking to him, in faith. And so, let us with conviction and joy continue to declare, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would work through your words in Colossians 1. Father, that if needed, you would convict some of us of our insulting and paltry efforts to add to the work that you have done. And let us cling to Christ alone. Father, I pray that for those in this room burdened by guilt, though they have looked to your son, I pray that you would unburden the weight on them. Though they have stumbled, though they have fallen, their acceptance with you is based in Christ alone. Work by your spirit through this passage to remind them of that. And Father, I pray that you would bring some to life in Christ this morning. May they, by your Spirit, trust in Christ alone to escape the righteous wrath of God, the anger of God, the punishment of God for their sin, so that they may be holy and blameless and above reproach in your Son. Work through us, in us. In Jesus' name, amen.